Hello and welcome to the KCW Today podcast. I'm Max Horbury. In this episode's Editor's Picks, Don Grant tells us what it's like to view the Royal Opera House's magic flute from the comfort of the cinema. The belief that opera is an expensive night out for the knobs is borne out by the fact that one can pay £245 for one seat in the orchestra stalls at Covent Garden. Forking out 15 quid for the best seats in the opera house is a no-brainer, particularly if one has a glass of wine to accompany the Mozart. I go to the Royal Academy of Arts with Max Feldman to look at the new Dali Duchamp exhibition, and we discuss the point of surrealism. There's always been this tendency in art to force people to con- you know, confront things that they're not ready for in inverted commas in order to cause like a sort of you know, leap forward through the friction. And I feel that you know, like the urinal itself, like it, you know, it doesn't do much for me, but what it represents is tremendously powerful. And finally, things get a little bit spicy as James Billow, Max Fellman and I go to Hop Burns and Black to try a selection of hot sauces. I am panting like an Afghan hound. <laughs> I feel like I'm dipping in and out of mild consciousness here, but oh, the shakes are kicking in. Our editor's picks. From this month's edition, Don Grant reads The Magic Flute, live broadcast from the Royal Opera House. The Royal Opera House opened its 2017-18 season of live broadcasting with Mozart's enchanting tale about spiritual beliefs of good and evil and of wisdom and virtue in over 450 cinemas in Great Britain alone. The response to this form of entertainment was sluggish to begin with, but has gathered momentum and in the last four years has been watched by over 400,000 opera lovers. The Met in New York was the first to experiment with live in HD digital, having had an 80-year tradition of broadcasting live performances to millions of radio listeners globally on the Toll Brothers Metropolitan Opera International Radio Network. Of course, the BBC also transmits live concerts and has done so for many decades, now currently broadcasting operas live from the Met on Radio 3. The National Theatre also promotes a range of plays through the same medium, and has been met with enormous success. Starting in 2009, they have reached 5.5 million people in over 2,000 venues around the world, with 750,000 people watching Hamlet with Benedict Cumberbatch since 2015. Although one can queue for seats at the opera priced at around a tenner, well, not a seat exactly, but standing in the lower slips, the belief that opera is an expensive night out for the knobs is borne out by the fact that one can pay £245 for one seat in the orchestra stalls at Covent Garden. Forking out 15 quid for the best seats in the opera house is a no-brainer, particularly if one has a glass of wine to accompany the Mozart. The opera itself is a jumble of quasi-masonic rituals and initiation rites, which inculcate feelings of humanity, wisdom, patience, virtue, honesty, loyalty to friends and an understanding of freedom. Our hero, Tamino, having fallen in love with a picture of Pamina, who was kidnapped by the supposedly evil Sarastro, sets about to rescue her in the company of Papageno, a birdcatcher, who he has befriended. As it transpires, Sarastro is a good and honest man, while it is Pamina's mother, the Queen of the Night, who is the villain of the piece. 
along with Monostratus, who in this production has more than a whiff of Nosferatu mingled with Uncle Fester about him. A great deal of this production is in the dark, in a Vespertine forest or the Stygian halls of the temple with mighty columns being moved around the stage. The Magic Flute features two of the best love arias in opera, the spine-chilling De Hullerach, Hell's Vengeance, from the Queen of the Night, where she reaches for and grabs a high sea and the charming duet between Papageno and his newfound love, Papagena. In a more modest production I saw by Garden Opera at the Chelsea Arts Club years ago, one of the club cats decided he wanted some of the limelight and fancied his chances as a birdcatcher. Lovesick Papageno was trying to hang himself when the star-struck cat started to wind himself around the singer's legs. In vain, he tried to nudge the cat away, but that was misinterpreted as affection, and the entwinement continued, upsetting the poor man's concentration. Eventually, a member of the audience simply went and picked up the offending feline and put him outside. The production had come to a grinding halt, and the audience were in hysterics. When they finally calmed down, and the pianist nodded to Papageno to restart the scene, he turned to the audience and said, Actually, that wasn't the kind of pussy I had in mind at which point the whole room dissolved into mayhem, and it was a good five minutes before the show could continue. The cast in this production are faultless, with Papageno, a tour de force of comic wizardry, and Mauro Peter's Tamino, a self-assured performance alongside Sarastro, sung, sung by the Finnish bass Mika Kares, while Pamina in this David McVicker 2013 revival by Thomas Guthrie looked suitably vulnerable and sweet, but lacked oomph. Conductor Julia Jones kept the score rattling along at a terrific rate, as she might be surprised to note one line from the libretto which reads, Without a man, a woman cannot fulfil her destiny. W.C. Fields' maxim about never working with children or animals does not hold up on this, in this production as the three boy spirits are a delight, and Papageno was nearly upstaged by a dishevelled puppet goose on wheels, one bird he finally catches and dispatches on stage, which drew a gasp from the audience in the cinema. You can find more of Don Grant's writing in this month's edition. So I'm now at the Royal Academy of Arts uh, with Max Feldman. Max Feldman, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. So we're currently standing in the exhibition that's dedicated to Salvador Dali and Marcel Duchamp, um, two of the most prolific surrealist painters. So think dripping clocks, think lobster phones, think urinals on display. What's interesting is the reason that the urinal is signed Armut is to do with, Duchamp was on the board for the Society of Independent Artists. He actually submitted the urinal um, as a way to test the, uh, the board. Because um, the whole point is they're gonna do an exhibition where there was no jury, there was no competition. Um, and they of course looked at this urinal and said, uh, sorry, this is, this is not worthy of art. It's, uh, you know, disgraceful, and, and uh, he very promptly afterwards resigned yeah. from, from this uh, body. So it's interesting because in a way this then starts to talk about, first off, elevating the everyday, which, you know, arguably a, a lot of art does and should do, mm. but on the other side it shows the anarchistic streak in, uh, in surrealism. Mm -hmm. 
Um, a lot of surrealism seems to be about putting a middle finger up to the establishment. This, although a lot of people, it's easy to make a joke out of it, uh, embodies a lot of that. Um, and I think, I think even the original ended up in a, you know, a, a tip somewhere, you yeah. know, a rubbish bin. In a lot of ways, it was doing with you know physical objects what like punk music would be doing, you know, like later in the century with uh, music and physical aggression. In that, it's sort of in this that tradition going back to the riots that greeted, greeted Stravinsky's Rites of Spring. There's this. Um, there's always been this tendency in art to force people to con, you know, confront things that they're sort of not ready for in inverted commas in order to cause like a sort of go leap forward through the friction. And I feel that, you know, like the urinal itself, like it, you know, it doesn't do much for me, but what it represents is tremendously powerful in a, you know, in just like that kind of aggressive spirit of art in this, in a sort of way that's actually very alien to actually putting it up in a museum or an exhibition like this because to sort of, you know, put it in this uh, sort of raise things up to this level of canon sort of robs them slightly of that kind of raw power. You look at the other of Duchamp's objects, I mean, the, the, there's something sort of very simple but beautiful in this, this piece with the wheel atop the mm. stool. Very simple, but I quite, I quite like the idea of sort of saying, well, let's actually question what is art, what mm. can be art, is there a limit to what art is, mm. and, you know, the history of art has m often been really the history of people changing their definitions of what art should and shouldn't be. Another example of, you know, anarchistic uh, surrealism mm. would also be things like um, René Marguerite's, uh, you know, This Is Not A Pipe, where yeah. he paints a painting of a pipe and then writes that underneath in French, where it is an example of really again deconstructing the form and saying you know well this isn't a pipe this is a this is a representation of a pipe and it's playing with the idea of like signifier and signified um, very well mm. now it seems that this exhibit there's a lot of also historical uh, mm. bits and pieces whether it's brochures from different exhibitions at the time because surrealism really, you know, it's significant in being a time, a place, uh, a movement um, and quite often it's very hard to uh, separate surrealism of the 1920s and 30s from anything uh, beyond that. But of course surrealism is um, something that has never gone away. What I think is interesting is uh, near the end of the exhibit they have the dream sequence from Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound in 1945 which was, uh, that particular sequence was directed by Dali. Mm. And in the film it's being used as a, a way this guy is, is trying to and analyze his dream to uncover a, a lost memory. Mm. And so, you know, there, there's a... A lot of eyes. A lot of, yeah, curtain of eyes and a lot of strange surrealist elements. Shapes are distorted and sizes are distorted and it's very effective. I mean, if we compare this um, spellbound dream sequence to really, for example, the work of David Lynch mm. in the recent season of Twin Peaks or in his films going even all the way back to his first film, A Razorhead, which is an entire surrealist mm. film, um, you know, those films, they are, they're a little bit alienating mm. in many ways. So the baby that won't stop crying in A Razorhead turns that into this nightmare, you know, like barely human thing that 
the reason it's so alienating is because you, you recognise the kernel of human experience that you could relate to and because you see something of yourself in it that's what makes you pull back or you know it makes you feel things that you might not necessarily want to feel but like you know there's a transgressive thrill in that which I think is absent in this spellbound sequence people have you know even people who don't like art very much have like you know if you say oh it's like a surrealist art painting they're going to have some kind of an idea basically a lot of the stuff like this exhibition whereas some of the forms that have evolved out of surrealism I think people yeah the people are slightly more cage with because they like it can make them feel things they're not prepared to because they, it's not your standard narrative but it's also not uh, you know googly eyed madness and um, and people can find you know, I think as what keeps coming up is that surrealism in you know beyond the kind of the liberating aspect of it is quite an uncomfortable art form on the, just on a subconscious level today in 2017 what purpose does surrealism serve we live in our politics, in many ways, a very surrealist time. Um, can you know what purpose does surrealism serve uh, today? Uh, well, I find particularly with um, with the the rise of kind of the internet and technology and the increasing fragmentation of life that stuff like uh, well, I'm prim primarily thinking of like kind of like modern Lynchian type movies, but stuff that goes under the surface of the way the kind of regimented way the world works and breaks down some more kind of deeper primal truths about like what we are as a, like as a people is effective because it helps us get away from this sort of this incredibly interconnected life that we're currently in and it yeah it makes it can make you feel simultaneously alienated but like a bit more at peace with like you know what it kind of what it means for the human condition and to be honest with you, like, we need all the human condition we can get these days. <laughs> well, Max Feldman, thank you for joining me. Max Horbury, it has been my pleasure, as always. Dali Duchamp is showing at the Royal Academy of Arts from the 7th of October to the 3rd of January. So I'm here at Hot Burns and Black with Glenn Williams. Glenn, how are you? I'm very good and welcome. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about this, uh, this establishment. What do you guys do? What do you specialize in? So this is our um, craft beer, hot sauce and, and vinyl emporium, I suppose you could say. Um, we've been around for about, about three years now. We're um, in southeast London, sort of on the border between Peckham and East Dulwich. Um, and it's basically uh, made up of the three fantastical things that um, we were fanatical about uh, before, before we started the shop. Um, we found our, our fridges were stocked with, with craft beer and, and hot sauce and we've always loved listening to good music. Um, so we thought we'd make a shop out of it. You've set up a little hot sauce tasting uh, extravaganza. So um, we, we stock over around about 100 sauces um, at any time. Everything from you know, locally, we've got everything from around the UK. Uh, the crazy hot sauces that have... Uh, shocked people around the world for many years. Great, so I'm, I'm joined here by James Billow and Max Feldman. Gentlemen, how are you? Very well, thank you, Max. Nervous. <laughs> <laughs> now, I am one of those people who has made my own hot sauce. I think that there's nothing in the world that can, can not be made better with the addition of a hot sauce. What are your guys' relationships with uh, hot sauce and uh, spicy foods? I mean, historically, I've had a, a pretty tumultuous relationship with the spice, but I'm proud to say, over the past six months, I've have graduated from 
lemon and herb to uh, medium spice at Nando's. So I'm feeling I'm feeling ready for this. I have to say this is bringing back some demons, but I'm going to fight through it and be a stronger man at the end. All right. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the first sauce on the menu. So the first sauce, uh, it's this one is definitely all about taste, and it's it's been a really really popular one. It's made with mangoes, um, and it's got habaneros in it, which are traditionally really really hot chilies, and it just really complements the mango. It's made down in, in New Brighton. It's just delicious. Yeah. It is um, burning desire. They're burning indulgence mango and habanero hot sauce. Let's let's be let's be clear about this. We're using crackers. We're doing a little dip. We're going to do the dip side down, so you're getting full sauce onto the tongue. It's really fruity. Mm. Oh, and then it kicks a tiny bit. There was that second of hope that <laughs> there was, but no, no, it has arrived. I mean, it's true to its name. You can definitely taste the mango in that. Mm. Um, and then you just get that ever so slight kick towards the end there, just to remind you that this is very much a spice. This is to prove that hot sauces can be just about flavour. We have a lot of people come in and, and see a hot sauce wall and just be completely freaked out and go, I don't want any of your crazy, you know, awful sauces that are often named, uh, you know, equally disgusting as well. That just proves that, you know, it could easily be just a normal, beautiful hot sauce you could use every day. Yeah. yeah. Ticks all around. So far, yeah. so good, team. Yeah. So what would this be good with? Seafood, chicken. Could be could be good with dessert as well. Yeah, you could put this with ice cream. Mm. The next one, um, brother Brew Brew, who was actually uh, the uh, tambourine man in Bob Dylan's uh, tambourine man. So he was a musician uh, in Africa uh, many many years ago. Um, and this particular hot sauce features habaneros again, but yet again, I think uh, diluted. It's more about the flavour of the habanero rather than the heat. It is a little step up from the last one, uh, but yeah, I think we have a good, have a have a wee gander at that. Well, that's a sharper one there. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit sharper. Yeah. In the words of Tambourine Man, I'm branded on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, that's that's really that's got a good kick. Oh, that's got a good But it's kind of a stealthy build up. Now, how do you, how do you guys feel in terms of the the flavour? Obviously, this is much less fruity. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. It's it's it's, 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 it's it's becoming more apparent. Maybe James, you handle this one. <laughs> no, I mean, it was I'm, I wasn't sure if I was meant to be tasting fruit in there, but I was pretty overwhelmed by the spice. So. Yeah. So the next one, it's one of our biggest sellers, especially around Christmas time, because people love uh, giving this one as a gift or sticking it in people's stoffings. Um, it's Professor Fart Pounder's Colon Cleaner hot sauce. It was three, I think it was one of the first hot sauces I, I, I ever purchased in the UK, a little um, hot sauce shop down in Brighton. Let's see what you guys think. I think it really balances. It is hot, but I think it really balances it with, with wonderful flavor. So check, check it out. We're about to find out. Yeah, that's just quite. That's just quite. Hmm. I was about to say it's just quite nice and chill and um, yeah. pleasantly tasting, but I am feeling the beginnings of <laughs> the Mos uh, Montezuma's revenge, as it were, of Fart Pounder's revenge, even. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much. Um, um, it's what they call a bajan sauce, which is heavy on the mustard. So it's got the um, the Scotch bonnets in there, which give it that fruitiness and the heat. Um, but it's that mustard working. In unison with it, that just prov provides us unique flavour. Really, it's almost like a chutney, 
chutney, a hot chutney flavour. Where are we all on the Richter scale right now? Um, it's <laughs> a decent question. Uh, I know about five point, like five point nine, something. Like that. 5.9. Yeah, so basically, God, God forbid it be 6.0. Chili's, I mean, you guys are talking about your own scale, but we're, there's, of course, there's the Chili scale, the, the Scoville scale, yeah, and, well, and they talk about Sco Scoville units, which essentially is the hot bits of the chili, uh, how many times you have to dilute it in order to get that to zero, um, and they, they get a scale out of that, and it's called the Scoville scale. And we've been in the, the actual chilies in the, in the last three have been in the 100,000 to the 350,000 range, but because the other two sources were diluted, you don't necessarily get that heat, but I would say um, this 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 colon cleaner would be up over the hundred thousand. So this next one is a, a chipotle style sauce. So normally you get a lot of chipotle sauces; they're smoky and they can be quite mild, um, and it's all about the flavour. Well, this has got that flavour. You'll find out, but it's also got uh, naga chilies in them as well, which are some of the hottest chilies in the world. <laughs> I've got to say, I'm a little, I'm a little bit. Um, nervous now. Well, it's got a kind of SAS thing with a warning of who dares burns. That's yeah. actually kind of intimidating. Yeah. So this is from Hotheads, um, who have been big in the hot sauce scene in the UK for a number of years now. This is their Naga and Chipotle sauce. All right. All right. Let's do it. Bombs away. This is this one. I love the habanero taste. Ah. James, oh, I like the looking part, but no, it's. I'm, I'm sort of all right. Um, oh. That's a oh lot. Oh god. There's a real lull at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I will warn you, sometimes if I eat super spicy food, I get hiccups. I'm sure hiccups will sound really good on the radio. Speaking in tongues. I am really strong. No, this one sticks around. This yeah. is a, a full mouth experience. Oh. Characteristic of the naga that it, it grips on and, and doesn't let go for a very, very really long time. You just really go. have to yeah. ride it out. I mean, I mean, now after a few minutes, it's like settled into like a, as long as I keep my mouth shut, now that I'm talking, it's getting yeah. hotter. It's smouldering, I, I think. It's like, yeah, rather than the, the roaring forest fire at the beginning of it. I am panting like an Afghan hound. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm dipping in and out of mild consciousness here, but, oh, the shakes are kicking in, but. All right, chaps, are we, are we ready for the final one? No, but let's do it. So the final one it returns to uh, the UK, a guy called Tubby Tom, and he has a whole range of hot sauces, and he's got really gotten into barbecue rubs, spicy rubs, that sort of thing, as well. And this is his hottest sauce. It's got um, the Trinidad Scorpion, which, as I said um, before, it's up until recently, it was the hottest chili in the world. He's called it the Scorpion Slammer. Now, as a point of reference, what was the Schofield rating of yes. spiciness for the first one that we did? So the first one, you know, it could have been anywhere between 100 and 100 and and 350,000. And, and the one we're about to try? Is uh, anywhere between 1.3 million and 2 million Scoville units. So. so so Max, instead of scooping, is actually like drizzling it on top of. Oh my god, it's going to Most of that has gone on the jeans. <laughs> Max's right cheek is quite literally spasming. <laughs> yeah, I feel muscles that haven't been used in a while are starting to fire. Yeah. Your face is definitely Ooh. starting to go red. Ooh. Ooh, that might have been a mistake. So for the listeners, Max is just kind of like writhing. <laughs> he's kind of shifting back and forth and like almost like he's like preparing for a jog to <laughs> jumping his shoulders no, up and down. With you, Max. It's, an, it's a gentle undulation and you know it. It's all on the tip of the tongue. <laughs> it's um it's, it's almost sweet. Care, it's got a Oh, <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> 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 
it's it almost reminds me of a sweet chili, but wow, that's <laughs> oh, that doesn't mess around. That gets you right straight away. I have to be very careful about how I breathe. All of a sudden, <laughs> I haven't seen you this rattled in a very long time. <laughs> how are you doing? Speechless. I really like it. Yeah, it looks like. Oh, I oh my god, it's really. Oh, I really don't like talking. <laughs> Just with some perspective, Glenn is unflinched mm. in the face of this spice. He's slapping it on as well. <laughs> I, don't, I did some training a little bit earlier uh, in building up. Are you to this up? Stuff. Yeah, about basically, I'd, I went through the flight a little bit earlier just to um, make sure it was on on track. But yeah, right. you can. The thing you get even within a day, you can build up a, a tolerance. Um, we've 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 run a couple of events around, uh, not necessarily hot sauce, but eating chilies. Um, we we did something called chili karaoke a couple of times. So <laughs> it was um, eat a eat a chili. It was Scotch bonnets, which are really fierce if you if you're having them by yourselves, and then uh, attempt to get through the song that you've chosen. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, so very messy as well. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm in such a nice place. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Those endorphins are really coming through. Yeah. Well, Glenn, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Really nice to have you guys here uh, from the other side of, of, of this great city. Hop Burns and Black is located at 38 East Dulwich Road. They have a selection of hot sauces, beers, records and wine. And that's all we have time for. You can find our latest edition of Kensington, Chelsea and Westminster Today distributed across London or at kcwtoday.co.uk. Thank you for listening. <laughs>